0: Hey again, welcome to Cross Creek. If you uh, snuck in during the music, that's totally cool. I'll reintroduce myself. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're watching online, thank you so much for watching. Um, We're just glad that you are a part of this. Hey, um, I know that for some of you, being here right now might be a little bit awkward. Maybe it's this church thing isn't something you've done lately. Maybe it's something maybe you never did. Maybe you're here because you're here to make somebody happy. Thank you. On their behalf, thank you. It means so much to them that you are here. And I just want you to know that that's you, if you're like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe I'm in church. It's Saturday afternoon. Look, it's great outside. So what am I doing here? Just let you know you're safe. Okay, we have seven exits here. They don't lock. You are totally, totally safe here. And so what, what I wanted to do is kind of ease you into this, this church, and maybe ease all of us into this church thing, is maybe talk about Easter a little bit and see how much we know about Easter. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to put up some questions on the screen here, and then we're going to see if you guys know about Easter. And how well you do is how long I'm going to talk afterward. <laughs> okay? So let's see might want to do a lot better. You can't Google it though, okay? So what do we know about Easter? Let's see what we know. The idea of the Easter Bunny originated in the 1700s in which country? What do you think? You, don't have, you could yell it out if you want. If you're that type of person, that's okay. You can whisper it to your neighbor. You, can, you, can, you could live tweet this if you want. Half of you know what I'm talking about. So where did the Easter Bunny come from? Germany. Who was right? Okay, that's another 10 minutes. Okay. The second largest holiday for eating candy is Easter. Which is the first largest holiday for eating candy? Christmas. Let's let's see. Halloween, you guys are right, you bunch of sinners. Okay, number 3. Which animal is used in Australia instead of a rabbit? Because they're crazy. Kangaroo. Just because it's Australia, you think it's a kangaroo, that's like... It is the bilby. I don't know what that is. The internet just told me that was the right answer. You can Google that one later, too. All right. The most popular American Easter candy is... Let's see. Chocolate bunnies, marshmallow peeps, jelly beans, kale. We're not... We're not saying the Pacific Northwest. We're saying America. Okay. So, what's the most popular candy? Peeps. I know. Just just roll some marshmallows and sugar, and you're fine. I think I think we have two more. Seventy-six percent of people eat which part of the chocolate bunny first? Not the chest? You guys are just like what do we got feet actually that's wrong it's the ears i don't know who made these slides but they were wrong all right true story on this one in sweden what do kids dress up as instead of the easter bunny easter lambs easter disciples easter puppies or easter wizards you think it's lambs? If you thought it was lambs, you are wrong! It's Easter wizards! <laughs> Anybody ready to go to Sweden tomorrow? Because I want to see that. That is going to be... I, I don't know why it's wizards, but that's cool. All right? I guess Harry Potter's really big over there in Sweden. And they're like, Easter is about Harry... No. Okay, so we did okay. So I'll probably talk for... 25 minutes. Is that all right? Because I want you guys to know two very important things, and whether you're you're a church person, whether this is your first time here, whether maybe it's your first time in a long time at a church, we want you to know two really important things. God loves you, and God is for you. God loves you, and God is for you, and so are we. See, something I know about most of us, you're like, man, he is conceited. How does he know something about me? I, he doesn't even know me. I'm that good, guys. <laughs> something I know pretty much about all of us, whether you're, you're a Jesus follower or not, maybe you're here, and you, like I said, make somebody happy. When I say God loves you and is for you, there's some kind of pushback inside of you. Whether it's like this big pushback, like, no, well, blah, Or you're like, uh, I know, I know I should know that, but... I don't always feel that God loves me, or that God is for me. You might there, there might be something in you that says, you know, you know that'd be nice if there was a God that was for me and loved me. But how's there any proof that there even is a God? Or you know, He sure there's a God, but He sure doesn't seem to care about me. I mean, look at my life. It's obviously He's not taking care of me. Or you know you don't know what I've done. You say you know me, you don't know what I've done. You don't know that, that thing that I'm trying to keep secret from everyone. So he's definitely not for me if he's a good God because you don't know what I did. Now, respectfully, I know I don't know all of you, but respectfully, I'm going to tell you a very important fact here. You're wrong. You're wrong. How do I know that you're wrong? Easter. Easter. Easter is proof that God loves you and is for you. Easter is proof that God loves you and is for you. If you're the studious type and you want to take notes because you're like, man, he's going to be boring, I need to stay awake, use your, use your program, you can take notes, but you don't have to. So how do I know? Easter is proof that God loves you enough to come into human history and do something about the pain, about the hurt, about the emptiness, the fear, the sadness that we all experience and that we all see it all around us all the time. Easter proves that God loves you and that God is for you. He's not against you. He's not mad at you. God is not waiting to smite you. Despite what maybe you heard growing up, that's not God. He is for you. He is for your happiness. He is for your fulfillment. He is for your peace. He wants to give you a life of purpose, of confidence, and joy. But, here's, here's kind of the kicker. This idea of Easter, this idea of Jesus rising from the dead on the first Easter, if that's not true, if it's not a historical fact, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything I just said is a lie, is wrong, and Jesus is nothing. He's just one of thousands and thousands of people crucified by the Roman Empire. See, the the authenticity of the resurrection is the most important question in human history. And if it's not true, if the resurrection isn't true, then I, as a pastor, and everyone like me, and every building like this, and all these people that are going to be celebrating this weekend are fooling you. And every penny and every minute donated by people like you has been swindled from you by people like me. But if the resurrection is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead 2,000 years ago, everything changes. Everything changes because that means they're actually is a god it means not only is there a god but he loves you he is for you and you can actually have a full life now and forever you say that's nice you know man you almost got you almost got me there how do we know the resurrection is a historical fact i mean i get it i get it right if jesus didn't rise from the dead he's still dead he's he's just kind of a good teacher and all you know that's nice how do we know it's a historical fact? Well, first of all, historians agree there was a Jesus in first century ancient Palestine who was executed by the Romans. Historians agree on that fact. And they agree that his first followers, who originally started out as very devout monotheistic Jews, claimed that he had risen from the dead and that he was divine. That's a historical fact. There's there's, um, writings outside of Christian writings that say Jesus' followers said he rose from the dead and that he's God. And it's undeniable that something happened. The historical record tells us something happened with this Jesus guy. And it's changed the world. Something happened. But was it really Jesus coming back to life? I mean, that doesn't happen. When you're dead, you're dead. That doesn't happen. I mean, obviously not everyone at that time, and not every scholar today says, yeah, Jesus was real, and he died, and he came back to life, right? That's not a, not everybody agrees on that. Nobody's agreed on that 100% from day one, right? From the first Easter. So what are some other explanations we have for the resurrection? Something happened, right? Something happened historically with this Jesus guy. What are some other explanations for what happened? Because if the resurrection is not true, there should be a logical explanation for what actually happened, something happened, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, then there's a logical, there should be a logical explanation for what actually happened in that moment in time. So what else could have happened? What other explanations are there? What what alternative explanations are out there? And so that's what I want to do. I want to look at the four most popular explanations for what what maybe actually happened on the first Easter. If he he didn't rise from the dead, there's a logical answer, Let's look at the the top four answers for what happened instead of him coming back to life. So alternative explanation number one is this. Jesus didn't really die. He didn't really die. Yeah, there was a Jesus. Yeah, he, he told people about God. And yeah, he said he was resurrected. But he didn't actually die. See, he appeared to his followers after his crucifixion because he was never actually dead. He was just mostly dead. See, Jesus on the cross, he, yes, he was crucified, the historical fact. He passed out, right? With so much pain. He, he passes out and his body was either put in a cold tomb or thrown into a pit or a shallow grave. And so when he woke up, because he was only mostly dead, when he woke up, you know, he started walking around, brushed himself off and he says, hey guys, remember when I said I'd rise from the dead? Here I am. So he wasn't actually dead. Now here's the thing with, with that, that alternative explanation. Most legitimate scholars write this idea off immediately. Because if you know anything about the Roman Empire and how they felt about executing people, that wouldn't have happened. They were experts at executing people. They liked it. They studied it. These soldiers that crucified Jesus, their job was to crucify people. The Romans on some days would would crucify 6,000 people. They knew the difference between a dead man and a mostly dead man. See, here's the thing with Romans. They crucified people to death until they were dead. Okay, the Romans crucified people to death until they were dead. There's no way they simply messed up. In fact, here's, here's the original account of Jesus' crucifixion. Later, so Jesus on the cross, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. Because if you break the legs, then they can't lift themselves up to take a breath, and they kind of suffocate. The Romans were bad people. Anyway. And by the way, are you noticing all these details in this passage? Where are we getting that? We're getting it from the book of John, what we what we call the book of John. It's John's eyewitness account of Jesus's life. That's what we call the book of John and what we call the New Testament. John was Jesus's best friend, and so he's saying, "Hey, here's what happened the day Jesus died." But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus's side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. John's basically saying, I know it sounds crazy, but I was there. I saw it. My testimony is true. Jesus was dead. Now, here's the thing, right? Jesus was whipped. He was beaten. He was crucified. He had a Roman spear shoved into his side. If he wasn't dead, is he going to get up in three days and be like, hey, guys, how's it going? No, right? I've been in two car accidents in two months. I'm not walking around and being like, "Hey guys, that was well." Yeah, I'm not. I'm getting better thanks to my chiropractor who's here, and he's amazing. If you want a good chiropractor, I'll give you his number. <laughs> if I, he told me if I said that, I could get a discount. So, <laughs> <laughs> insurance money is good. So. There's no way that Jesus just gets up after enduring all of that. And let's say Jesus did survive. He's walking around and being like, hey, everybody, I'm alive. The Romans aren't going to be like, ah, missed one. Oh, well, guess you're off the hook. No, they're going to grab him and redo it, right? I mean, hey, oh, no, don't worry. You're totally defying the power and authority of Rome. Enjoy yourself. No, they're not going to let him get off the hook. Jesus was actually really dead. Okay, then. I'll give you that, John. He's, he was dead. But how about another explanation? Alternative explanation number two. They went to the wrong tomb. Yeah, he was dead. Yes, he was put in, in a tomb. But in their grief, they thought their, their leader was going was gonna to bring back the glory of Israel, and now he's dead. So in their grief, Jesus' followers took a left instead of a right, and went to the wrong tomb. Which, of course, that tomb was empty because there had never been a body put in it. Logical, common sense, right? Again, no historian actually takes this seriously because they could have just simply asked the dude who put the body in the tomb where the body was. Here's the the account in the book of Mark. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea... "'A prominent member of the council "'who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God "'went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. "'Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. "'Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. "'When he learned from the centurion that it was so, "'he gave the body to Joseph. "'So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, "'wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb "'cut out of rock. "'Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb.' Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Where's the body? Where's the body? Joseph, Jesus is risen! No, he's... You, you took a right. He's, he's on this. They could have just asked him. Right? Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph saw where it happened. Saw where he put the body. It's not the wrong tomb. Also... The Jewish and Roman authorities at the time would have been more than happy to give free tours of the real tomb. Right? As soon as Jesus' followers like, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive, Rome, Rome didn't kill him, he's, he's God, he's risen. They'd be like, hey, idiots, he's over here. Like, free tour, come see Jesus' body, here it is. They didn't do that. Because nobody produced any body, it wasn't the wrong tomb, they didn't have the body. Nobody produced any body. And if it's ever found, if Jesus' body is ever found, everyone agrees Christianity is over because it revolves so much around the resurrection of Jesus and what that proves and what that shows, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But if Jesus' body is ever found, this is done. I'll be the first to say, I've got to find a new job. I don't know what I can get paid for with this personality, but we'll figure something out. but they haven't found it. And the officials of that time who wanted there to be a body didn't know where it was. Which brings us to the oldest explanation for Jesus' missing body. Maybe the most popular one. Explanation number three. The disciples stole the body. The disciples stole the body. This whole thing, this whole Easter thing of Jesus being alive is an elaborate hoax that was planned and carried out by Jesus' illiterate, young fisherman disciples. They pulled the greatest hoax on that the world has ever seen on the greatest empire the world has ever seen. So was it a hoax? Here's the thing: the disciples on that first Easter, they thought it was a hoax too. This is what it says in John. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. The first logical explanation is not that he rose from the dead, but somebody took the body. That's the disciple's own words. We didn't know what happened. We thought somebody stole it. So what's the origin of the idea that the disciples stole it? We actually have that recorded, where this whole explanation started in Matthew. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. These are the soldiers that were guarding the tomb. right? And then the stone was rolled away and Jesus' Jesus' body was gone. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him, while, stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets out to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Because they could have been put to death for falling asleep on duty, which they wouldn't have done because they're Roman soldiers. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. That was the first alternative explanation was that the disciples stole money. Jesus' body just claimed that he was risen from the dead. But think about it. All of the disciples who were in on this hoax, apparently, were willing to die for it. History tells us that the disciples were killed, tortured, for this idea of saying, Jesus rose from the dead, he is God. Now, is that is that logical? Because criminals, you know, when I've I haven't been a criminal very much in my life, but <laughs> criminals, when they're caught and they have partners, right? And there's this there's this like conspiracy or whatever to, you know, hey, you know, we'll stick together and we'll pull off this. They they turn on each other all the time, just for less time in in prison, not facing torture. Right? In fact, in fact, kids in school. I used to be a middle school teacher. Kids in school would turn on each other like that just to have ten minutes less of detention. It's human nature. You don't want to get in trouble when somebody else can. <laughs> See, if the disciples had stolen the body, I think there would have been some unconfirmed source that leaked the, the uh, location of the real body. It would have leaked. Many of, but here's the thing. Many of Jesus' early early followers, his disciples, like I said, were eventually tortured for their testimony that Jesus rose from the dead. And they never went back on it. They never went back on their testimony and said, oh, I'm just kidding. That hurts. Okay, he's dead. Here's the body. We, we buried it over here. Never. And here's the thing. Not only were they tortured, they watched other people be tortured and executed for the story that they were telling people. So they told somebody the story. Jesus, Jesus is alive. He, he was dead. We saw him dead. We saw him alive. And, and he's God, and he can change your life. And people believed that, and the people that believed that were tortured as the disciples had to watch. So either the disciples didn't know where the body was because it was risen, or they are the most evil, pathetic men ever to walk this earth. You know, evil, pathetic men that said, you know, God's command is love each other. Hey, love is patient, love is kind, love isn't selfish. Those evil people, right? See, even Jesus' little brother, James, was tortured and killed for saying and maintaining that his older brother was alive after his death. It's not human nature. Someone would have cracked if they made it up. I mean, what would be the point of keeping a lie intact if you're going to die for it? I mean, who goes through that for something they know is made up? No one would willingly die for their own lie. What's the point? You might die for a cause you believe in, but not a cause you know is fake and you made up yourself. So explanation number four. I think this is the fun one. The disciples borrowed existing stories of resurrection. Jesus died... But go, floating around that culture were all these different stories from different religions about you know these these godmen rising from the dead. It's a very popular idea. Google it; it's there. You know the early church adapted stories like Mithras, Osiris, Dionysus, and put them onto Jesus. It's very interesting if if you've maybe watched online or you you were here a few weeks ago. We kind of talked about this idea. It's a really interesting idea that the disciples borrowed all these ideas, but it's a myth. It's not true. No one in those cultures actually believed in a present-day human resurrection. For the the Greco-Roman culture, they followed the ideas of Plato and Homer. They were dualists, meaning that the ultimate goal was to escape the material, material world and go to the spiritual world, go to what the real world is. Maybe you read Plato's Allegory of a Cave in high school, right? Where what we see now isn't the reality, when we we die, we actually go to reality, and that's that's more desirable. To return to the material world in a new body, nobody would want to do that. Why why would anybody want to do that? It's undesirable. Once someone was gone and dead, they had finally escaped the body that was imprisoning their soul. They never wanted to return to this physical world. That was Greco-Roman culture thinking. Now, for the Jews at the time, resurrection was a real hope for all the people of Israel. But they believed in a resurrection at the end of time for everyone at the same time. So there's really no room in their theology for one person resurrecting eternally in the middle of time. Resurrection is supposed to be like a sign of the end of the times. That's why nearly all of Jesus' followers were so freaked out when they first saw him. They weren't expecting it. Here's what Luke recorded. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. The Son of Man, how Jesus would refer to himself, That might have been your, that might be your thinking, right? When you hear about Easter, you're like, oh, that's, you know, bunnies and stuff, that's cool. But nobody comes back from the dead. That's what Jesus' followers first said. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What in the world happened? Not like there, when there's no body, the first thought isn't like, oh yeah, remember he said he was gonna rise again? That, that must have happened. No, that was not. That wasn't even in their thinking because the resurrection was unthinkable in that time and culture. Nobody was, nobody was expecting nobody. I'll say it again so you get it. <laughs> nobody was at the tomb being like, okay, it's Sunday, five, four, three, two, cue the birds, and stone, and what's up, Jesus? Nobody was expecting there to be Nobody. It wasn't even in their thinking. It wasn't possible. So the early church didn't borrow the idea of resurrection because that idea didn't fit in the worldview at the time. None of the most plausible explanations, most plausible alternative explanations for Jesus' missing body hold up to scrutiny. Those are the top four. They don't hold up. See, the only logical and historically accurate answer is Jesus really did rise from the dead. That might seem amazing. That might seem like that's not, but but the only logical and historically accurate answer is that it actually happened. And because it actually happened, that means everything Jesus said is true. Because if somebody can predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm guessing everything else they say is true, right? That means everything he said is true. That means God really does love you. God really is for you. He made you on purpose. And he really does want a relationship with you. Not for you to grovel to him and be like, oh, I get to go to church every Sunday. No. He wants a relationship with you as the perfect father. And he did everything to make that possible. Because we can't do it ourselves. We can't have a relationship with God ourselves because we can't earn it and we don't deserve it because, as, as the writers of the Bible said, we're sinners. You knew that word was coming because you're in church, right? When you hear sinner, here's what I mean. You've broken the law of love. Jesus, Jesus was asked, hey, what are God's top, what's God's top law? Like, if we really want to just, you know, cut to the chase, what's God all about? And Jesus said, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the laws of love. Love God, love others as you love yourself. Have you broken that at one point in your life? You have. Sinner. (laughs) So have I, once. So, (laughs) we've all broken that law of love. And nothing we can do, no feelings of guilt, no candles we can light, no money we can give can do anything to take away that hurt that we caused other people. Right? If, if you murder somebody, you can't be like, oh, well, here's $5,000, and everybody's okay with it. That person is still dead. You are still a murderer. Nothing you can do can take that guilt away. Now, here's the thing. Like I said, God loves you. He doesn't want to punish you, but he's also just. He's a king. We say, you know, why, why is there evil in this world? God should punish it, and he does. He doesn't just let things go. He's a good king. A good king doesn't just let evil run rampant in his kingdom, right? So he needs to destroy evil. But who's evil? You and me and the person sitting next to you. If God was going to destroy evil once and for all, who would he have to destroy? You. But he loves you. He doesn't want to destroy you. So he made a way to punish evil and destroy it and its effects, without destroying us. He sent Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, to pay that penalty for us, to take that punishment in our place. And then he rose again, proving that he actually has power over sin and power over its effects, death. He actually conquered evil and death by rising again. And he says we can be restored to a perfect relationship with our heavenly Father, with God, simply by trusting that Jesus paid everything and did everything to make that happen. That there's nothing left for us to do because it's all been done. There's nothing we can do to be right with God because Jesus already did it. There's no rules you have to follow to make God like you more. There's no rituals you have to you know memorize and go through to make God notice you. There's no sacrifices you have to make to be like, oh, I'm really sorry. No, the final penalty was paid. It was paid for us. There's nothing we can do to get a relationship with God except trust that Jesus paid it all for us, paid the penalty for us, just trusting that. Maybe you've heard the word faith. Faith just means trust, trusting that Jesus is the way to God, that Jesus offers 100% forgiveness for that evil that we all have. Now, if you're a Jesus follower today, you're here, you're watching online, enjoy that relationship because it's real. It's not just real because you feel like it's real and you have faith and, oh, yeah, I feel good when I sing those songs. Enjoy that relationship because it it is a historical relationship fact that jesus died for you and rose again for you he's alive and you can be confident in his love because it doesn't depend on you it depends on him the one who conquered death now if you're not a jesus follower and you maybe you're here to make people happy or maybe you're watching online because it's easter and you're like well i should be religious on easter just consider what we've been talking about i'm not going to pressure you today or anything like that maybe you're expecting that that's not going to happen Just consider it. Like the the angel said to the ladies, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. All I'm asking you to do is come and see. Whoa. Come and see. Because what if it is all true? I mean, what do you have to lose? What if it is all true? What if Jesus really was who he said he was? He really was God. And he can give you not just a fresh start, but a new life, like he said he would. His resurrection proves that he has power over death, power over evil, and that he can give you a new life. So just accept that invitation of come and see. Check it out. Take your time. Explore. Examine ask questions. We created this church for people who don't normally go to church, so you have a safe place to ask questions, to explore, where there's no pressure. You can belong before you believe because we don't have to prove anything to you because God loves you, and he'll prove it to you. He'll show you, and here's what I think you'll find. What we've all found is this. The resurrection is proof that you are loved more than you will ever know. The resurrection is proof that you are loved more than you will ever know so we're going to celebrate that. We're going to celebrate that fact that you are loved. That because of one man's death, we can all have a new life. So the band's going to come up, as you can see. And we're going to move this, this rugged-looking cross to the middle here. You're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? The doors aren't locked yet. You're safe. <laughs> what, the, the cross, I mean, it's weird that people wear it on their neck and it's on buildings and stuff. The cross is an instrument designed to inflict maximum pain, maximum torture on people. But because of what Jesus did on it, it doesn't represent torture and pain anymore. It represents new life. And so we're just going to celebrate that new life. Whether you, you know, you're fully by into this Jesus thing or not, you can still celebrate with us. Why not? So what we're going to have is some flowers up here. Maybe you brought some. That's cool. But we're going to have flowers up front. And as the band plays, we're going to change this nasty instrument of torture into a beautiful symbol of new life by putting flowers on it called blossoming the cross. So when you're like, you know what, I want to go do that. As the band's playing, just come on up. There's no like ritual or paper you have to sign to do it. Just join us in celebrating what Jesus did on this cross. So let's let's sing. Hey, let's, let's just pray really quick. Jesus, thank you that we are free because of you. Thank you that we are free to be who you always made us to be. Thank you that we don't have to hide anything about us. We are just free because of you. Thank you for what you've done. Show us your love. Show us how we can show that love to others. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey. At the very beginning, I said we want to be a church where you can ask questions and where you can explore. We don't just say that. We mean it. That's why we have these Connect cards in the seat in front of you. You can ask any question you have about anything I said, anything about Christianity, anything like that. Maybe you want to know more about Jesus. You can write that question on the back here. Give us your information. We'll get back to you this week, maybe further the conversation, and we want to be a part of maybe your next step in what is, what is this all about. That's what we want to do. So we are going to dismiss these kids because we're not just gonna let them free. We care about them way more than that. So we can dismiss them downstairs where you can pick them up, make sure you have your, your card. And then every single one of you is invited just to hang out and we're gonna have some hot dogs and some soda and some chips maybe. And I know there's dessert. There might be salad, but don't feel obligated. Oh, and we're gonna take this cross outside so we can, you can take pictures with it if you so wish. But uh, thank you so much for being here. Normally we meet at, on Sundays at 4.30. We'd love to see you there. And I hope you have a great Easter tomorrow and a great week this week. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week.